Father in heaven, we thank you that in uh, this work of gardening, we're simply cooperating with you. We want to be like your apprentices, and that you'll teach us how to make Garden of Eden um, conditions and production even in this world of sin. And even as we look to a better world where there won't be any weeds or anything like that. Give us your wisdom here, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, usually, you know, you can control uh, things uh, better if you have a good relationship with them. That's uh, the psychology of it. So many times we have a negative relationship with weeds. But if you uh, think about weeds, they're actually just plants. Of course, you know, plants out of place. They're good plants that are, God has put them there to heal the land, to cover the land. There's a plant for every scar of nature that we can put on the land. And many times weeds are actually uh, your teachers. They can tell you what's wrong with the soil. You know, here in the southeast, if you see, just driving by on the road, you see broom grass on the hillside. That tells you it's worn out, uh, low pH um, soil. I remember one time I was driving on the freeway, 70 miles an hour, down the freeway in Florida, looked over on the hillside, it was red with the sorrel that was going to seed, okay? And so I just knew that was acid soil over there. I didn't have to, to stop my car. So, you know, you can learn some of those things that the uh, weeds can teach you. And also, of course, the weeds are, like I said, healing land. They're concentrating nutrients and bringing them up from down deeper, one example is um, lamb's quarter is uh, concentrating phosphorus and maybe collecting it that's not readily available to other plants. So uh, that's why lamb's quarter is really good greens. You know, if you, in fact, I, in my handbook, I have some charts of wild greens compared to um, domestic greens and salads. It makes look growing regular lettuce makes it look like a waste of time, or you, you know, why eat that when you can eat um, things like arugula and things like that have so much more food value, and of course wild greens way on up there, just many times more food value, and that lamb's quarters is, is one of those. My mom would just want to let them grow and say, hey, we're gonna have enough lamb's quarters, even after we're all done, but. Um, and there's a whole study of how the, you know, sort of understanding what weeds tell you about soil imbalances. And I haven't been able to get rid of all the weeds by balancing the soil, but it may make some uh, weed problems easier to deal with if you, uh, not as, you know, much pressure if you balance your soil. And of course, uh, how much weed pressure you have depends on the amount of weed seeds in your soil, so be very careful not to let the weeds uh, go to seed, okay? Um, weeds are good uh, green manure. We have a weed in West Virginia we call wild buckwheat. I think it's called shaggy, shaggy soldier, and that grows so fast. It grows fast like buckwheat. It grows the seed fast too, so you have to be careful, but you can cycle that and till it under many times during during the season, so it's God's uh, ready-made uh, green manure there for you. And by the way, uh, definition of a green manure is just a plant that you till in 
to, to improve the soil. Um, but uh, uh, one of the best ways to uh, reduce the, um, the weed pressure uh, in your crops is to uh, have the hard to weed crops come after the easy to weed crops or, or several years of the easy to weed crops, okay? So the hard to weed crops, well you just, you know, whatever you think of as hard to weed crops, you try to have those come after the ones that you're really good at weeding. So usually carrots and beets and things like that, slow germinating vegetables are the ones that are hard to weed and the ones that are easy to keep weeded just because they're easy to cultivate and cover the weeds are like potatoes, corn, sweet potatoes. Some people say squash is in that, but especially in Alabama, it seemed like by the end of the season, my squash patch looked like a disaster area. I mean, weeds just go on the seasons. I was trying to let the squash ripen, but um, weeds, I didn't have a good enough cover there of leaves, squash leaves. And so um, for me, that wasn't a good, you could say, clean crop. But you'll find um, if you have grown these kind of, you say, sweet potatoes, they just vine over and, and corn, very easy to cultivate. You had a couple years of that, then you grow your carrots. You have a lot less weeds uh, coming up, usually. Okay? And then if you do a rest year, which we'll show in, in our slides how you can cycle into that with a perennial uh, green manure. That's one that you don't just plant in the spring and grow it over the summer. You usually have a lot of weeds in, in a green manure that you plant in the spring. But if you plant it in the fall and it gets really well established, it has a real climax stand there and it precludes those spring weeds that come up. You keep it mowed all summer and so you've really had a weed-free uh, year before you till it up the next spring and uh, and grow your crop, and that will help to uh, to you know kind of get the uh, weed pressure down. Can you give an example of a perennial like that? Yeah, perennial. One of my favorites is uh, a sweet clover. Yeah, and I like it because even if you plant it in the fall until it under the next spring, it will go from being all burned down during the winter to jumping up and producing a lot of organic matter faster than just about any other legume. Now rye will jump up faster, but you know I need to get my green manure growing and get it tilled under and have time to decompose before I plant my crops. Say. And so I want something that gets as much organic matter grown as fast in the spring as possible. But there's so many different ones. It could be red clover, it could be alfalfa, um, just anything that's a perennial that will give you a good, you know, not just some little um, subterranean clover that kind of, you know, is real low growing. The weeds can grow it through it easily. Okay, even after we've done that rotation and, and that kind of thing, uh, we still have, um, you know, some weeds to deal with. And so then we want to have the right tools. As I was listening to the panel this morning and they were asking, about how do you get young people um, interested? You know, I've had that experience working at various uh, school farm situations. And if it's just out there, you know, 
uh, beating your brains out, hoeing weeds with a cotton hoe, it is kind of, you know, it seems like that drudgery type of thing. But if you get the right tools where they can see, hey, you're applying some brains to this idea, see, to make it easier, it, it gets to be exciting and you still work. So you can't, you can't get past that. So if somebody just, you know, is not um, at all interested, they may still be uh, not able to cut it. But here are some of the cultivation tools. Um, is a stirrup hoe and a wheel uh, hoe cultivator, and then a flame weeder, okay? And uh, so I'll just show you some of these. Uh, maybe I can get some help up here uh, to, uh, Jonathan, you wanna come and help me? Cause I uh, uh, have to hold on to this mic. Maybe we can just get the stirrup um, hoe there. Yeah, the stirrup hoe, if we can get it someplace where it's uh, up here, we can just kind of show it where the, the camera will see it or whatever. But I, I wouldn't do without this uh, stirrup hoe because it will just slice right under the soil and real close to the plant, okay? You, this is a Swiss-made thing, and you can get American-made ones, but they usually, the blade goes straight across and doesn't work as well. This. You can go right next, you can just nudge the side of a carrot plant, okay? And uh, you're just going, you know, just barely under the soil here, but between the rows, it's going deeper. And so, you know you're getting good, good cultivation. And plus, it, it uh, wiggles back and forth, show how it goes back and forth there on the soil. And that way, it can go both directions, and it kind of pops the weeds out, out of the soil. Yeah. And this is... Um, um, I've used all different kinds of stirrup hose, but this five or five and a half inch one is the one I have, um, I like the best uh, for you know general purpose uh, gardening. And then there's a three, oh, I didn't bring the seven inch one. There's a seven inch one. For most people, it's a little bit big. You hit a lot of rocks or something that knocks it around. And then here's the three inch one for going between, you know, narrower uh, rows in a bed. It's really nice. Uh, a nice one as well. I actually uh, toured the factory over in Switzerland of the man that makes these, William Glosser, and they're really quality made things. Then, yeah, let's get this. This is a uh, uh, hoe that was developed by Elliot Coleman called the Clinier Hoe, and it is really nice for beds of lettuce because if you're trying to hoe lettuce that's starting to leaf out with a stirrup hoe, it'll be tearing the leaves, okay? But this will go in under the leaves and, um, you know, just is really nice, uh, really nice tool. What's well, that called? It's called a collinear, is that right? Collinear. Collinear, oh, yeah. Has something to do with the angle or something. Collinear has something to do with that. And then there's this other little one, which I made my own, uh, just well, a little piece of metal on the end of a broken off hoe. But, you know, for getting in between real narrow rows, sometimes I plant a whole bunch of narrow rows on a bed. And so this is really nice for getting, you know, in between those or in between plants in the row. So really, uh, if you don't have a stirrup hoe, you know, you, you just really need one of those. And these others are, are really nice to have. Um, 
And you can buy, um, thank you very much. You can buy uh, just in uh, regular garden centers, you can buy, you know, the regular old cotton hoe, but then there's another one which I was going to bring with me also. Just kind of has a, a, a thinner blade on it, but not as, not as thin as these. I, I really like that hoe as well. When you're hoeing down a row, do you want to like hoe in front of you or behind you? So you walk on it or don't walk on it? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I usually just go like this. It's nice if you're tall, especially to have a you know a nice long handle like this. If you get, especially if it's not too rocky, you know, you can hoe as fast as you can. Okay, you just go down here like this and unload the unload the roots or weeds off of it. But you just zip right on down the row if you're you know coordinated. Person, this one here, you know, nice classical music, and you start down the road like this. <laughs> it's really, it's true. You get into a, you get into a, a, a cadence, you know, about it. That uh, thank you for asking. Yeah. Okay, then there's also a uh, push um, uh, stirrup hoe. Uh, it has a wheel on the front. I have a slide here. Uh, I guess I should have brought uh, one out of the trailer in case the slides didn't work. With your, with your wheel hoe, do you use other implements besides the stirrup on it? Uh, no, I don't. When we first got it, we got uh, several different uh, things, uh, but we just, and, and we got several different widths of stirrups and this and that, but we ended up just we got a 13 inch wide stirrup you know it's really a wide stirrup okay and we ended up we just ended up with just leaving that one on there and all those other expensive ones just sat on the shelf okay we were planning to use this to push right down between the rows in the care bed but you know you just use these hand hoes so so um i have one now that i think is 13 or 14 inches and, and so I can just in my pathways, I just go up and back down, and that pretty well uh, covers my pathway. So if you get a wide one, uh, 13, 14 inches, that will um, many times do it. Now, other people you know, may have different experiences with how they work with the stirrup hoe, but. Uh, well, when you have a crop like corn, do you kind of hoe so the dirt goes up? Or, or do you use like a, a wheel hoe to throw the dirt up to get where the row of corn is? Uh, yeah, what I do many times is uh, I will maybe do with the wide stirrup in the in the pathway pathways, and then I just go with the more conventional hoe, and I just kind of use it to to uh, flow some soil right around the, the small corn plants. The weeds, you know, when the weeds are still small and the corn is jumped up, that's why it's nice corn and beans are easy things uh, to cultivate. Then I also developed a thing which I don't have a picture on, but just a little piece of tin that I kind of uh, hooked on to my stirrup, on my stirrup, push stirrup hoe, and it's just a little uh, angle plow on the edge of the stirrup, so it does that push, okay? And, and so, um, I, I need to patent that, and uh, you know, but uh, it's fun to make up these little modifications. Do you use any of the small pillars for cultivation? I like a rototiller. Mm -hmm. It's a mini one. 
They sell all these mini ones like this. Yeah. Thing. Oh no, those, uh, sir. I've never found those really that great because many times they just have these kind of spider-like tines, and so they don't do quite the the cutting. And they just once you've used a push stirrup hoe, you're making so much progress with so little um, so little effort that. Uh, Okay, let's see where we are here. Okay, uh, somewhere in here, I thought we had the, the stirrup hoe in there. Maybe we never got it put in there. I guess we, I, we have a picture of it later on here, okay? Um, just, just let me go ahead here with the, yeah, it probably had to do with the, the variety of clover. They might have had um, white Dutch clover, which kind of grows, it can kind of send out runners and just any, any part of it can grow almost. So if you grow a different kind of clover, like uh, maybe alcite clover or something like that, it, it, it grows kind of low at first, but it'll, it'll actually make more organic matter faster. But when you till it in, it will tend to die um, more easily, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just be careful that you, um, with your soil type and your climate, that you're giving your green manure plenty of time to be tilled in and um, and pass off the seam. Okay, um, we're gonna um, do talk some about mulches and things like that. But first of all, I'm going to show you some with our flame weeder. Um, I demonstrated it out there, but this will sort of give you a visual thing of how you can do it. And I'm going to show you this in a market garden setting, but some of the slides we're going to show, show how you can actually do it in your home garden and uh, with the available things that you have around the home. You won't have to buy a, you know, four or $500 uh, flame weeder, okay? Um, but this will give you the technique of how to do it, which goes along with the handout there on the front of your handout, the how-to uh, flame weed. And this is for pre-emergence uh, weed control. Before the crop comes up, you run this flamer over, but you have to have a special technique for preparing the bed in order to get the best, um, the best weed control. Okay, the way we do it is uh, Two weeks before we're going to plant our crop, we till the bed and even mark the rows. You can see how the rows are kind of marked there, okay? And then, in this case, we came with the push planter and planted our carrots. And when you plant the carrots, you do not till it again. You plant into that, we call it a stale bed. See, And that's already given two weeks for the weeds to start germinating and, and coming up. And then it takes uh, 10 days, seven to 10 days for the carrots to germinate. And so that's another week that the weeds are up a little bit ahead of the carrots, say. Okay, and here with just the three planters uh, kind of put together with some clips on blocks there. Um, and how those little blocks work. And here, a lot of times in the early spring, with your first planting of carrots, beets, lettuce, and all those kind of things, you put this floating row cover on, and it will make you able to plant a little bit sooner 
Whereas if you planted that soon, soon without the floating row cover, the freeze would just burn the plants when they come up. So that you can get a few weeks earlier. Floating row cover is great stuff. This was in Colorado. So there you see the row covers and there we had to irrigate. Um, and here you can do it by hand. You know, you just plant your uh, carrots, disturbing the soil in that stale bed just as little as possible. And so just take a, you know, your hoe handle or something and remake the row a little bit, sprinkle the seed in there, cover it back in without retilling the whole bed. You just leave that stale bed. Okay, and then this is the first flame weeder uh, that we built. I've been over in Europe. I've been over in Europe um, teaching at European Bible School and toured around Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Seemed like every other uh, small organic vegetable farmer had his own flame weeder that he either bought or built. And so I took a picture of each one, came back, and my brother was growing about a quarter of an acre of fall carrots and a whole bunch of plantings during the season. And for the fall carrots, he had his apprentices out there on their hands and knees for a week weeding his this carrot bed okay so i said oh joel you need a flame weeder so we built this it just put the torch right on each individual row okay and here you can see uh what it looked like there you can see those rows of carrots and in between the rows of carrots you can see how many weeds would be in the row if we hadn't flamed in the row okay so those are lamb's quarters and, and uh, pig's weeds there. And oh boy, that was just like night and day. Well, you can see it's like night and day what it would be like. And then we just took the stirrup hose and finished off those, uh, those weeds there. And so that was our first. Uh, and there you can see the stirrup, push stirrup hoe over there. You can't see the stirrup very well, but the push stirrup hoe. So that really made the apprentices happy, I'll tell you. Wow, that was great. And uh, then we found that a lot of times those weeds in between the row, they did not want to die sometimes. Just when we were going, whoops. Uh, just when we were going to hoe them, it would start raining. Even there in dry Colorado, it would start raining like West Virginia rain, you know. And those weeds, if you left them sitting there, would just turn around and grow. We had to haul them all out of the field. And so we started doing a manifold of torches and just flaming the whole bed. Okay? And you don't have to actually burn the weeds. You just are going slow enough that it just overheats their tissue and ruptures their cells. And then they die in a few hours. That's before the crop emerges. Yeah, just before the crop comes up, um, you run this over the bed, and then the the, the crop comes on up, and uh, you have a lot less weeds. That first flush of weeds, no weeds. It's really great. And um, here is what it looks like. There we have pulled off the floating row cover, and we haven't hoed that at all. So you can see not very many weeds there at all, except down there by um, the person, there's some uh, thistles coming up. Okay, and I think we have some other pictures here. There you can see the thistle patch that was coming up. And thistles are perennial weeds that just, you know, push up from the roots. And you can just burn them off, but they'll come up. So flame weeding doesn't really 
you know, help perennial weeds. You have to deal with them in another, another way. You can see how close you can go with those stirrup hoes, so you have very little weeding uh, to do. Okay, and this is direct seeded onions. You can hardly see the rows there, but you can see in the wheel tracks how many weeds would be in the bed. And you can also see the thistles there. We had a real problem with, with thistles, but we live with them. This is one where we really let it, we hadn't weeded this. This is about a month after the carrots came up probably, and we hadn't weeded it. So you can see very few weeds there, even though we hadn't even cultivated or weeded it. And between the pathways, you can see how many, what the weeds would be like in that bed if we hadn't planted. And then I built one for my tractor. Okay, that was a seven or maybe I made it, then I made it a nine torch. Mm -hmm. And boy, it's just like the afterburner on a jet, you know. But this is what you can do in a home garden. Okay, you just go into your husband's shop and get that torch for soldering pipes. And you put that little fan tip on the end that's for burning um, paint off of antique furniture or whatever. And you tape it to a hoe handle, okay? And just before the carrots come up, you run that uh, torch down the, right down the row so the flame is actually contacting the soil, okay? And that's the way you can experiment with this without really spending you know, any extra money except for the little bit of gas there. The frame doesn't bake around the seeds? What's that again? It doesn't bake the seeds? No, the seeds are under the ground, and you'll find, even though after you run that, you know, that big model that I have over, and it's just, just you know, torching the soil, you can, right behind, you can hold your hand on the soil, and it really is not hot. Okay, it's a little bit warm, but they're really worried about the microbes over in Europe, the soil microbes. They don't want to damage them at all. So they've done extensive you know, studies on whether flame weeding hurts the microbes. And it doesn't because it doesn't really change the, the temperature of the soil appreciably. But uh, you just want to be real careful that you, you know, do this before your crop comes up. Really check it and make sure that you're not waiting too long. And the way you do that is you, you know, dig a little bit in the soil and, and find that where that carrot is putting its root down. And just when you see the root is going down, that's just before the carrot is going to pull up and out of the soil. So that's when you want to flame before it comes up, up and out. If you plant uh, beets at the same time as you plant your carrots, the beets come up basically a day before. So when you see the beets come up, you know it's time to to flame your carrots, that's some of the ways you can uh, you can tell. In a home garden, it's not so big a thing. You know, you've got a little bed of carrots, maybe, and if you miss it one year, you, you've learned for the next. When you're doing a market gardening and you've got a 300-foot-long bed of carrots, okay, you're a little bit more jumpy. Yeah. Okay, and then we were going to Nepal, and uh, and so we were going to thought we would do flaming weeding over there, but we might not have propane. So we made our own biogas generator and uh, filled up this uh, tube over here with, uh, with methane gas, okay? And uh, then we took it out to the garden. And <laughs> this is the third world um, 
version of uh, the space shuttle, if anything happens, <laughs> you'd be launched, okay? And with two weeks worth of biogas generation, we're able to flame weed 1,000 feet, single row feet of uh, garlic here. And of course, this is what we're doing all this for, is the carrots and the beets. Okay, here's some things about mulch. Advantages of mulch, of course, it controls the weeds by shading, conserves moisture, uh, modifies the temperature, keeps the soil cool or warm, depending on the situation, kind of equalized day to night, uh, controls erosion, that's especially you know important if you're on a more hillside type of thing, but you'd be amazed when the you know, Alabama or West Virginia thunderstorm hits, how much soil will leave the average uh, garden. And then as that mulch breaks down, it builds the organic matter, improves the, the soil structure. And there's many different mulches uh, that you can use. Let's see here. There we go. Um, oh, here's some of the mulch applications. Okay, I usually use my mulching materials around my long season crops, full season crops. They're gonna be there the whole season, like tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, cucumbers, melons, those kind of things. Um, uh, that way, you know, it takes time to put that mulch down. And um, so you're gonna get the longest term benefit. And those crops really, let's say like tomatoes really benefit from very even moisture. So you don't have the problems with cracking and uh, also blossom end rot many times is, uh, it's a calcium deficiency, but it's kind of uh, brought on by erratic, uh, wet and dry uh, moisture conditions in the soil. Um, I, I, you know, some people try to mulch their whole garden, okay? For me, um, it just doesn't work. It's easier to uh, cultivate those short-term crops like peas and carrots and, and those kind of things because by the time you get the mulch out there, it's sort of like, then it's time to harvest the crop. And, and so I, I use it more for the long-term things. And also around fruit trees, it's really nice to... Uh, keep the weeds down, you know, right around the, the drip line type of thing. Um, some people feel that that would cause them maybe uh, nutrient problems, okay, and maybe nitrogen, but you just uh, fertilize um, a little bit more in proportion to uh, make up for that. And then you can use, you know, even things like wood chips and so forth, if that's what you have. But um, hay, straw, all kinds of things you can use around, around fruit trees. Actually, we uh, got this idea from, uh, uh, what's the name of that um, book on organic uh, fruit growing. But the last few years, I've been experimenting with planting comfrey around my fruit trees. And the comfrey will just grow this you know, bush around the fruit tree, and you won't have the weeds growing right around your fruit tree. It's really nice. And it seems like they have different uh, root zones, and, and it just works great. Of course, you don't want to, you know, snug an organic mulch right up around the, the trunk of the tree, because that will encourage uh, rodents. Of course, uh, mulching is really great for small fruits, like um, uh, strawberries, especially uh, raspberries. We use all our grass clippings in the spring. We just 
put them down the raspberry row. It's also like the fertilizer. Just put it down the raspberry row and then it just takes care of, you know, no weeds up in the raspberries. Put it on really thick. Okay, any questions about um, about mulch here, maybe? Uh, this is just pointing out, you know, a pitfall some people will have is they put the mulch on too early um, for the warm season crops. The soil hasn't warmed. They plant their, say, tomatoes real early, and then they mulch them right away, and they're just kind of, their feet are too cold, cold and wet, maybe. So I found it's best to, especially for your early tomatoes, not as critical for, you know, if you're not pushing the limits of earliness. Um, but for those early tomatoes, it's best to just keep them cultivated for the first, um, maybe until the first blossom set or something like that. And then you snug the mulch up around them. Um, the soil's warmed up by then. Well, an average season, I will uh, just plant it in the fall or late summer, and uh, then it grows over the winter time, and then I just till it under in the spring, um, maybe two or three weeks before I'm going to actually plant my crop. So I till it, it's kind of a rough till to get, I mow it off many times, and then a rough till to get it just worked in and let it break down, and then I come in and, and till again right before I'm going to plant. I might even till it three times, depending on you know how rough it is and how good my rototiller is. And that's a very good question. The question was, uh, you know, with planting a green manure in the rest year, if that's really resting because you're growing something. Well, um, I would say yes because you're actually building the soil with that type of thing you're growing. Weeds are you know causing your problems with the weed seeds. And, and so forth. And if you're not growing anything, your soil, especially if you're trying to build the organic matter, if you're tilling the soil, it is speeding up the breakdown of organic matter. Okay? You're growing a garden is, in a way, it's your garden is, soil is going downhill whenever you have it there. Okay? As opposed to when it's out here in, you know, grass or something like that. It's actually building the organic matter. So to have something growing on it is helping to grow more organic matter. So even your weeds were growing organic matter, but you should have kept them, even if it was weeds, if you would have kept it mowed, you know, really low, it would have only, uh, you would have only grown weed seeds for the very low growing weeds, okay? Like joint grass or something like that. But um, if you grow the white, right kind of weeds, you choose your weeds, clover, let's say, your plant, you choose your plants, ones that will outshine the weeds, then uh, you're taking care of that problem too and still building your soil. So it's a better, even a better rest. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, I'll show you that uh, whole thing of cycling into a rest. Yes, there's another question. You talked about using grass clippings on raspberries. Um, is there a plant you don't recommend using it on because it would create a mold that would kill the plant? For example, like cucumbers. Hmm. Oh, grass clippings, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's good you mentioned that because uh, in some climates, grass clippings work really great. And depends on the grass clippings, too. 
But in other climates, in the east here, where it rains a lot, sometimes you take fresh grass clippings, you, you know, still green and moist from the mower, and you just, oh, there's a wonderful mulch you put on it, rains and rains, and it turns into this gooey, slimy mass. So you have to, you know, just kind of see what you're dealing with and, and modify uh, according to that. Um, the way, where we get our grass clippings, we let it grow big enough, and uh, it's it's a little bit, it's not quite as this fine suburban grass clipping, and uh, it's almost halfway to hay, and so it doesn't make that um, uh, slimy uh, thing that you would want to be careful on, something like maybe cucumbers. Can you use it on uh, tomatoes and that? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And even your, like your corn? Fields in that thing, you you know, you know your seeds down, soil your, your dirt. Yeah, um, I I usually don't use mulch on my corn because it's so easy to cultivate, and I on things that I direct seed, anything from carrots to corn, I you know I don't try to. Some people try to mulch the day that they plant their seeds, and that's just setting yourself up for a lot of uh, trouble is the mulch is smothering the small plants, or then once they come up where it comes down to the plant, there's weeds coming where it comes down to the row in the plant. The weeds are coming up there, and you have weeds in the mulch, and, and so you're halfway between hoeing and mulching. And so, Taking it out um, or something like yeah. that, you know. So you want to do it in a way that you manage it in a way that it really works. You put it on, snug it around the plants. Mm -hmm. that usually you transplant or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it, it uh, works best that way. It's true. Uh, Barca was saying that usually by the time we get our grass clippings raked up, they've dried for a day or two, and that, that helps with that problem of them becoming uh, just uh, gooey. Okay, um, here's some of the types of mulch, which we've already talked about some. Um, hay or uh, straw, and of course uh, hay can have weed seeds, uh, straw can have uh, wheat seeds in it. Um, I haven't really done this with hay, but with straw you can uh, wet those bales down and put a tarp over them and those uh, uh, seeds of the wheat will sprout. You give it, you know, maybe three weeks or so and get it all sprouted out. And so you won't have nearly the problem. If you're not careful about that or your source of straw and you have a lot of, of um, wheat sprouting, you know, we've mulched our strawberries and, and end up looking like a wheat field. Okay. So you just want to be aware of that. Uh, leaves, they tend to mat or uh, blow. And so uh, many times, we will put the leaves down first. They make a nice layer that you know shades the soil and keeps the weeds from growing. And put pine needles, if you have both available, you put the pine needles on top and they kind of hold the weeds, the, the leaves from blowing away. Uh, if you just use pine needles, you have to put them on pretty thick in order to get good shading and no uh, light penetration. Okay, and bark and wood chips, I usually use that around my ornamental um, things, but um, I have used it in uh, 
you know, in uh, say raspberries and trees and, and things like that. I usually don't use the wood chips in my garden. Also blueberries, it works well around them. You just have to give them a little bit of extra nitrogen. You're usually um, fertilizing blueberries with nitrogen on a regular basis, so you just give a little bit more. Uh, yeah, they're very low in nitrogen, and they're they're kind of you know make your soil trashy. Let's say at the end of the year if you till it in, and so it just doesn't fit into my. Uh, um, I'm kind of a, a farmer gardener gardener farmer when I'm farming. I'm kind of doing it on garden scale when I'm gardening. I want to keep everything in that kind of you know it, it all works and flows, and um, so. Uh, wood chips just doesn't fit into that. You know, some people have these raised beds and they put wood chips to mulch them and they just pedantically reach in there with their hoe. And uh, my garden is all in straight rows and everything has to flow through it. And so wood chips just doesn't um, just doesn't fit into that. Even when I'm doing a small garden, you know, I kind of do it that way. But it's not saying that you couldn't use wood chips if you try to use it though in a you know, vegetable garden type of situation. You just need to um, think about how it might, uh, you know, trip you up when you're trying to prepare that in the future for fine seeds. And also, you'd have to uh, consider the pH because it's very acid and very low in nitrogen. Uh, yeah, or you could just uh, 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 till it in and plant your uh, uh, cucumbers and melons there next year, which you would do in hills, and so it's not going to cause you to garden. Prepare that, and then you plant peppers and eggplant the next year, which you kind of kind of do the same way and transplant in. By that time, the chips will have sort of broken down. So you know, but you just plan for it. You see, so that you don't get into the situation. Oh, I, my rotation calls for uh, for uh, carrots here, and how's this all going to work? Okay, then there's a plastic mulch, which I've used some for early uh, warm season crops like tomatoes, peppers, and cucumbers and things like that, and it can really give you a jump on, you know, warms the soil, of course, controls the weeds. Many people use them for um, for things like strawberries and, and so forth as well. Okay, and then there's a living mulch, which I'm going to show you some slides of here, um, sort of um, um, how you can plant that between the rows. How much, how much time do you have? Okay, this is more farming scale here. We planted our corn. We're cultivating it, but you can you know, just cultivate your garden. And when it's about this high, you sprinkle your clover seeds in there, okay? About one month after you planted, then you cultivate it in and you keep it watered. Here's how you do it on a garden scale. You just sprinkle the seeds by hand between your rows of cabbage or corn or beans or whatever. Then you rake it in or you rototill real shallow. So you're just uh, picturing that you're covering or mixing it into the top uh, quarter to half an inch. Again, keep it well watered. And this was our corn there. The clover, when we picked the corn, would be like uh, 8, 10 inches tall. This was sweet clover. And uh, then we would just uh, mow it off in the fall. And then in the spring, it jump up really fast, and we till it in in the garden. You probably wouldn't let it get this big, or you would mow it before you till it, so that you know smaller tiller 
can they? You can see that's quite a you know hefty crop of nitrogen and well, of organic matter and nitrogen. Um, this was with broccoli, uh, just planting it just like you would in the garden. Here's one of those push stirrup hoes. And uh, about one month after you planted the crop, which would be about right here, your last time you're cultivating it, you sprinkle those seeds in. And um, this is what it looks like when it's coming up. just looks like weeds coming up there. And um, this is what it looks like about at harvest time, just a nice carpet in there, a living mulch. Okay, and that way you can cycle into a green manure without having to go to a big thing of till up the whole garden at the end after all the crops are out. Till it all up, spread it all out there. It just sort of is the only thing you're doing is sprinkling the seeds in there at the last um, at the last cultivation. It depends how lumpy your soil. If you have a lot of lumps, then it kind of goes down in. But and if you water a lot, you know, you just put your sprinkler there and keep it watered. It will work. But if it, you know, you want to cover it, some, or you want to just, you know, you just run your syrup hoe or you rototiller just enough to stir it into the top. Uh, yes, you can now. Of course, you have your tomatoes mulch. You know, it wouldn't work. But yeah, in between anything, some crops, you know, they just bush so much. They just shade these out and sort of, you know, they just die for lack of light. But anything that has enough, you know, space in there, yeah, and you just you want to keep it well cultivated, I mean, weed-free up to that point. Otherwise, you have so many weeds with your, with your green manure. Uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's just whether you, um, whether you want that, you know, in there and if that technique is going to work for you, it's just an easy way to get into green manure for the, for the winter. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.